when it talks about Jesus, it is said of him that when he comes, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to delight in the fear of God? This is what I want to help you understand by the end of our sermon or our talk this morning. Let's now read the word of God, beginning with verse 1 of Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and only brought a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words... He fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done amongst the people by the hands of the apostles, and all were worshiping together in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That is, Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem now, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God bides forever. So, Holy Spirit, I ask for help in properly treating this story. There have been more fun stories, Lord, but this is your word. This really happened. Can we understand how it affects us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ananias and Sapphira experienced grace. They did. As I've taught you before, everyone experiences God's common grace. God's common grace comes as you enjoy the sunshine today, this afternoon, as you walk about and look at the greenness of the environment around you. It's well watered. We have houses to live in. We have food to eat. The measure of health we have now, we can give God thanks for that. That is all evidence of his common grace. And Ananias and Sapphira, they enjoyed this. 
They were part of God's covenant community, the nation of Israel, the people God caused to be his own. They were granted to each other in marriage, so they had relational blessings. Oh, they enjoyed common grace. But they also enjoyed special grace. They are in with the Jesus people. They're part of the way. They're included in the Christian church. And what have they seen? What have they experienced? God has provided them leaders. Leaders that were personally trained by Jesus. God has poured out his spirit on them in Acts chapter 2. He has baptized them in the spirit. He has empowered them. He's fallen upon them. Whatever verb you want to use, that's what they've experienced. And so they, like everyone else in the church, have received a spiritual gift. And it's most likely to think that they're numbered amongst those who might have even been speaking a foreign language that they never learned, as is the case in Acts chapter 2. Ananias and Sapphira were filled with the joy of the Lord because it says joy consumed them in Acts chapter 2. They were blessed or graced by the teaching of the apostles. They had much better ministers than you do. They had guys who actually spoke what they learned directly from the mouth of Jesus. He had taught them how to inspire the text, how to interpret the text. They enjoyed the healings that they saw. I mean, we're praying for God to do things. Could you imagine if all of a sudden God walked up to Bruce and said, Bruce, walk. And you got to see him stand up and walk after more than 40 years of being in a chair? What would that do to you? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? They got to see such miracles. They saw people who were addicted, people who were under the spell of the evil one. They would cast out demons, and all of a sudden, those people who looked so dark and goth-like were all of a sudden raised to life and had a new sparkle in their eye. They saw people go from being lost to being found. And can you imagine the worship services there as they sang the great I am? I mean, Lewis, it's pretty impressive. I love watching Lewis worship. He's not watching us watch him worship. He's just worshiping. But we all know what it's like. If you get Janet and Lewis on the same side with Beth, all of a sudden hands are flying, people are clapping, smiles are coming out. And can you imagine the worship of that first church? Apostles teaching, joy, singing, conversions. And then when the officials come from the outside and try to squelch it, the Holy Spirit shows up and gives great strength. And we see Peter, the man who waffled before a girl previously in his life, is now standing tall before the Sanhedrin. What else did God grace Ananias and Sapphira with? Incredible koinonia fellowship. They enjoyed being part of the family. That's one of the reasons that we had Elizabeth read her text this morning to let you know exactly what was going on in their group. That's why our t-shirts outside say, life is hard, why live it alone? They were part of a fraternity, a gorgeous body that cared for one another. The Bible says they were of one heart and one soul. The Bible tells us stories about how they had things they sold things to get money for the things they had and they sold to bring it to the apostles' feet, to put it in the deacon's fund that they could then look around and say, who has needs? We want to help meet your needs. What love, what grace. That's what they enjoyed. Grace was experienced. And so what did they do? 
They joined in. Worship was expressed. Ananias and Sapphira, like Barnabas at the end of chapter 4, for those of you who weren't here last week, Barnabas was one of these people who had property, sold it, and evidently he did this so often that they gave him a nickname, son of encouragement. Ananias and Sapphira see that. They see the body. They see the worship as these people are giving honor to God while loving one another. Do you see that? The vertical, they're giving honor to God while they're loving one another, which is what we want to do as we enjoy God and encourage one another. It's what Dave read in the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with honoring God. The last six deal with loving one another. These are the greatest commandments. Ananias and Sapphira see this going on and they participate. They too sell property. They bring a portion of the proceeds to the church. They find the apostles' feet, because they're the ones charged with giving oversight to this. They present part of their proceeds from selling their house. These two people have theological names, by the way. Ananias means God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful one. So you're getting this hint? Like, God is gracious and beautiful one. Come together with the church as everyone's honoring God and loving one another, and they participate. They engage in external worship and love. They really did. They're like all of us here today. We have all, some, for some reason, gathered, and we're making much of God as we pray for and love each other. But this is when we see hypocrisy enclosed. I mean, it's inside. It's not quite seen, at least not by man. Ananias and Phyra are contrasted with Barnabas. The first word in the text is, but. As in, you saw what Barnabas did, son of encouragement, but. Now, I'm going to interpret the passage this way. Ananias and Sapphira did not have to sell their property up in Highlands. And if they did decide they wanted to sell their property up in Highlands, they didn't have to give all $1 million of that property to the church. There was nothing in the Bible, in God's law, in the moving of the Spirit, or in the church that said they had to do that. I'm also going to interpret it in this light, that they saw all that was going on and somewhere they ran up to the microphone and they stood there and they said, hey, hey, we're going to do that too. We have this gorgeous property on the top of a mountain in Highlands, North Carolina, and we've used it for years with our family, but we are excited. We're going to sell it and we're going to get a lot of money and we can't wait to give it all to God. I think that's how it's best to interpret this passage. That somehow they made a vow. A vow before God and men that they were going to do this. Just a show of hands. How many of you have made church vows and have joined this church? Raise your hand, please. Look around. And how many have made vows to be elders or deacons or ministers in the church of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. All right, see, it's a lot like us. Are you getting this? 
You have these people coming together, graced by God, worshiping Him, loving one another, making vows. Except here, they had no plan on keeping their vows. Not only are they no good at it, they have no plan on keeping their vows because they plan on not keeping their vows. They plotted together, you will see, that they would keep back a portion. And that word for keep back, kept back, is a Greek word. And in that culture, even if you look outside the Bible, it deals with fraud, embezzlement, misappropriation, or stealing. That word is only used one other time in all of the Greek New Testament, and it means to steal. When the Greek New Testament writers were going to write about the Old Testament and put it in Greek terms, they chose this term to refer to that which uh, Achan did when God said, all of that is mine. And Achan said, oh, no, it's not. Some of it is mine. And he hid some of it under his tent. And so what you're seeing is that Ananias and Sapphira plotted together to embezzle and then to lie. Not only would they sell for a million dollars, but they would only take a half million of that and give it to God while pretending they were giving all of it to God. And that's the lie. Now you're sitting here going, <laughs> whoo. If someone sold their property in Highlands and gave a million for a million dollars and walked in here and said, I want to give $500,000 to Horizon Church, we might have a tendency to say, glory to Jesus, can we rename the church after you? I mean, because some of us have a hard time with our tithes and offerings, don't we? I mean, we're supposed to be just generous and supposed to give portions that God gives to us, and we're supposed to enjoy it. This, this family sold something to give something and gave it. But as you see, their hypocrisy in doing so is manifest. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, Even if I give my body to be burned, an ultimate act of sacrifice. Do you see that? But I don't have love. Profits nothing. They're giving a portion of their proceeds to the church, but they have not love. <laughs> They're not getting any brownie points in heaven. As a matter of fact, God is displeased. They're going to keep this back. What motivates them to lie? It could have been their pride. They wanted the applause of Barnabas. It could have been power. Hey, if people see us, they may vote for us to be an elder or deacon. Then we can climb up the ladder of power and control the destiny of the church. It could have been materialism. Well, we thought we'd give it a lot away, but you know what? It actually sold for $1.5 million and $750,000. That seems sufficient to me because just think what my family could do with that other money and how I could better provide for my wife in case something were to happen to me. I don't know what they justify, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Maybe they were motivated by a lot of things, but for sure they were motivated by the devil. 
For it says in the text, Satan had moved on their hearts. This is what Satan wants to do to us. We happen to be standing on the church built by our fathers and our mothers. And we happen to be enjoying a time when God seems to be in blessing us. We're, we're enjoying the unity that we have. We're enjoying the new friends that are coming to enjoy the unity with us. We like new ministries being birthed. We're, we're coming pretty close to hitting our financial obligations, or hitting our financial obligations, but in receiving that money that we had budgeted on for this year. We are being blessed. So how will Satan come at us? Just like you see here in Acts. Bombs and propaganda. Externally and internally. What do I mean by that? If we're going to go and we're going to go after another nation, it is necessary for us to use those external forces of power that we have called bombs. But also, nations have used it against us and we would use it against them as we would figure out a way to get a false narrative underneath that might kill the will of the people from the inside out. That's what Satan would do. Satan has been trying to kill the church of Jesus Christ through external persecution by the church, another religious church, and also by the political powers that be. And now he's trying to divide from within. It's like a cancer on the inside. This is what Satan's trying to do. And Ananias and Sapphira are actors. Filling their roles... Willing roles. This is what they want to do. They've plotted for this. They've, they've rehearsed their lines. They're hypocrites. And hypocrites hide their true face. And that's Ananias and Sapphira. And what were the consequences that they earned? On this day, God showered down justice. God discerned the truth. He gave to Peter the gift of discernment, and Peter seemed to discern the truth. Peter asks four questions. Wasn't it your own? After you sold it, wasn't the money still your own? Why has Satan lied to you and you followed Satan's leading with your own hearts? Then he makes a proclamation. You've not lied to man, but to God. I know what you're saying, the same thing I said. Wait, wait, they were lying to men. I think maybe the best way to look at that is, that is just so small compared to the lie you're making to God. That's where I get this idea that they've made a vow to God. We're going to do it. And now they're lying to God by lying to his church. Again, we see how closely Christ identifies himself with his church. You're going to see this in Acts chapter 9 when Saul shows up and Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Peter asks the questions. He makes the proclamation, you have not lied to man but to God. And then, I don't think Peter killed Ananias. I think Peter watched God kill Ananias. And I think Peter is struck. I don't know how you would stand there as a man guilty of sin like Peter was. 
who had walked with Jesus and disowned him and find this couple who gives a portion of their money and now they are struck dead. I think Peter's trembling. I think the young men who have to come get the body are trembling. And normal protocol is not kept as they quickly go and bury the body. Yes, in Palestine they normally buried the body before sundown, but they would also prepare it properly and then they would have this period of mourning, and they did not have this period of mourning. How do we know? Because Sapphira has no clue that her husband has been struck down by God. Therefore, Peter, I think, is under the inclination, and how painful would this be? Uh, Men, can somebody go find Sapphira and bring her here? I bet he's shaking. He may have been shooting up prayers. Oh, God, help her. Don't let this go down like this, God. I think Sapphira is given an opportunity here to repent. I mean, typically she should have read the signs, read the tea leaves. Why is a woman being called before the apostles? Hey, where is Ananias? Has anyone seen him? Is he on the golf course again? Peter looks at her and says, is this? And maybe he points to the money bag and she's looking there going, why is he asking me questions about the money bag? Is this really the price that you received for the sale of your highlands properly? I think she's being given an opportunity to repent. Was there that look of seriousness in his eyes? Was there a group of young men over here who kind of had their hands behind their back and they were kind of looking down, feeling a little bit guilty because they had just buried her husband? Oh, that she would have obeyed God rather than man, that she would obey God rather than her husband, that she would have feared God more than she feared reputation being lost. But she didn't. Satan had done his work on her heart. She had a corrupt heart. And she lied. She was a co-conspirator at this time. Peter makes this proclamation and God executed the sentence. And the same men that buried her husband buried her. And what was the result? Fear. I think you have Peter just shaking his head. I think you have the young men with the proper fear of God. I think all who saw what happened in the room had fear. As a matter of fact, it says the whole church, and this is the first time the word church is used by Luke and Acts. The first time it's used by Luke and Acts, that word ecclesia, is used of a group of people with the fear of God. I think the whole city started fearing God, which caused many of them to look and scratch their head and say, man, that's an interesting group of people. Look how they love one another, and they held them in high esteem but they wouldn't join them because it, I, I'm not getting embarrassed in bed with those people. 
you got to be the real deal if you're going to be in that with those people because evidently God looks right through them. And yet, there were another group of people who feared not being with God and his apostles and his church so much that they joined them, that they heard about what's going on from a distance and even brought people to be healed and touched. And the Lord kept building his church. Luke has now lost count. But do you notice the two groups? There are those characterized over here by fear, and I'm not joining. That God, he may, he may require too much of me. Versus these over here who are filled with fear, and they say, sign me up. I got to be in with that crowd. If you can't beat them, join them. Fear was encountered, but it was a different fear. A fear between those who had divine fear, a delightful fear, and those who had a devilish fear. So now give me five more minutes to walk you through how to apply this to our lives. What does God deserve? God deserves what Dave read. God deserves the Ten Commandments. God deserves that everyone, all of you sitting here, would understand there is a deity. That's not you. He created you. He sustains you. He graces you. He owns you. And He gives you His rules that are so good. And God deserves that you would enjoy Him and love your neighbors. That you would enjoy Him by learning of Him, by obeying Him, by studying Him, and that you would then express it in love. God deserves that, for He is your Father, your Creator. He is the King. These are not his, what He just kind of wants. He deserves that. God deserves the kind of worship that He was manufacturing in the first four chapters of Acts. This is not really optional. Other churches can use these terms. But they represent principles that cannot be winked at. This is what God deserves from all of us, that we would enjoy Him, glorify Him, and love Him by loving those created in His image, especially those in the household of faith. Second question, what does God observe? It took Dave about that much time to go from reading the Ten Commandments to confessing sin. Anybody who rightly understands the holiness of God and His law is immediately to respond with, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean hands because I'm a man with an unclean heart. That is what we're supposed to do. You want some fun reading today? It's not so fun. Go read the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ten Commandments and look at all the ways you're supposed to keep and all the ways that you don't keep the law. And you all of a sudden are, are, are filled with a, a fear you should be. Why? We have seen what God deserves. We have seen what God observes. 
And he doesn't look at you like man looks at you. He doesn't see just the outside of the cup. He sees the inside of the cup. As a matter of fact, in Psalms it says, even before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, see it. What does God deserve? What does God observe? What does God reserve? He hates sin. He hates Satan so much that God created a place called hell for Satan and his demons. And anyone else who follows the influence of Satan and the demons, which is proven by you not having a perfect heart and actions. And so what that means is that every single person is someone who has Satan, who has influenced their heart. And that is why we call ourselves sinners. Because we're broken, we're messed up on the inside. And therefore, we may be able to find one or two little things that we might be able to raise our hand and say, I'm good at that one. But if you break God's law in any way, you're a lawbreaker. And God has reserved punishment for such. And that punishment is called curse. And the curse is seen already because some of our fathers and mothers aren't living. They have died. That curse is already seen in that there is physical deformity and disease that came about because God saw curse and cursed mankind. But God has not yet responded to us like he did Ananias and Sapphira. As I look around the room today, I don't see too many that have been killed in church. That means I get to get to the good news. You have seen what God deserves. You have seen what God observes. You have seen what God has reserved. Can I tell you how God has served? Can I tell you what he has done? That he has decided that he's not pouring out instant death on sin for everyone. He's long-suffering. He's patient. And therefore, what has he done? He looked down and said, I am going to serve those people. I'm going to serve those people by keeping them alive and not let them suffer death immediately. You should say, thank you, God, that I'm still breathing your air. God then said, I'm going to send myself. I'm going to send myself down to earth. I'm going to become a man, add humanity to my deity. You're going to call me Jesus. And I am going to save my people from their sins, all of them. Every single time you don't enjoy God like you're supposed to, I got that, Jesus says. Every single time you don't love one another but you love yourself, Jesus says, throw that one on my account too. I can handle this. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and there he was treated like Ananias and Sapphira, although his death was not instant. God pummeled him with all the sins of all the people who would believe on him and call on him so that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God said, I'm not done serving you. I am now going to take your sin from you. I'm going to give Jesus holiness to you, which means now my Holy Spirit is moving inside you. And watch. As like a child does with Plato, I mold you into the image I want to mold you in. And you know what that looks like? 
more and more as God works with us, he takes us and makes us look like Jesus Christ. So that God looks down on us because of what he's doing through Christ and his spirit and says, man, how those people at Horizon Church enjoy me. And look how they're encouraging one another. And Satan's over here going, didn't you see? And God in his holiness is saying, shut up, devil. All of that that you pretend to see, I see that and more, and I've placed it on my son, and it is all covered. And this is how God serves. Now, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament who poured down wrath is the God of Acts 5 who killed Ananias and Sapphira, who is the God who will come back at the end of time and people will see him coming and they will tremble because they will know their time is up. He is the God who created heaven and hell. And he is the God who takes all of his wrath and pours it out on Jesus for sin. And now the question is this. You will tremble. You will. It's just a matter of delighting in the trembling of God. Or having a devilish hatred for the trembling of God. And so why is fire on the screen behind me? Fire is either a delight or a danger. God is either your greatest delight or your greatest danger. And so what we ought to do, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We should fear God properly. You should tremble before God properly. Like the little kid who goes to the NBA ball game and sees his athlete and his mouth goes, that's good trembling. Like the man who's standing here and he sees his wife walk down the aisle getting ready to get married. I've seen them shake. Their voice quivers. That's a gorgeous trembling. But there are some who won't tremble like that. And they see God and can't hear his love. And they run the other direction, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so I want all of you to tremble before the Lord now. Tremble at the Creator, and then tremble at the Savior. And look up at him and say, why in the world have you not treated me like Ananias and Sapphira? And then hear his voice. Because of the gospel. And now, come run to me with delight. Rejoice with trembling. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about continuing to work out with this godly trembling. God would have you tremble before him. If you're lost and you're not a Christian yet, God would have you tremble because you are in danger.
If you're found, God would have you tremble because you've never been so loved and it's blowing your mind. God would have us all root out that hypocrisy, realize that it doesn't do us any good. He sees right through us and he loves us. And in this situation, God graced them one more way by preserving his church. Ananias and Sapphira were a spiritual cancer because God has no problem loving sinners in the church. But God doesn't tolerate or abide sinners who pretend they're righteous. You have no righteousness of your own. God loves sinners wrapped in his righteousness. And if that's your proclamation, we can rejoice today with trembling. That's what it means to delight in the fear of the Lord. Father, you are anything but light weight. You're not a diet God. You are holy, 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 and you are heavy. May we sense your gravity, and maybe for a moment could we have a tinge of concern, but just for a microsecond, as that is followed by just the richness of your grace reminding us again and again how loved we are by the greatest possible being in the universe, the great I am. Oh God, may we not tolerate sin. May we hate it. And may we thank you as you are rescuing us from it with greater and greater success. And we look forward to that day in heaven when we don't battle with hypocrisy any longer. when sin is fully gone and we will still tremble because it's a glorious thing to delight in fearing you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.